Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap. It is a Tuesday evening. I'm Brad Brown. Thank you very much to the MoneyWeb team. They'll be back on your radio tomorrow at 6 p.m. Coming up on tonight's show, we'll hear from the Springbok camp, uh, from Bok coach Heine Kamea, as well as team Dr. Craig Roberts uh, with what's happening uh, in that training camp that's taking place in Johannesburg right now. We'll also uh, head to the South African Disabled Golf Championship. It's all taking place at the Swartkop Country Club over three days. Today was round two. Lali Stunder will keep us up to date. We'll also head to Madrid to find out what is happening in the tennis. And we'll preview tonight's Champions League semi-final clash between Juventus and uh, Real Madrid. But before we do that, let's take a look at some of the stories making headlines. And uh, big news out of that Bok training squad is that Lok Flip van Amarva has made himself unavailable for international duty this season due to personal reasons. On the domestic front, uh, the Sharks' woes continue. They were dealt a blow today with the news that scrum half Kubus Reinach has broken his hand and will return home from the uh, Australasian Super Rugby Tour. In football, New Zealand Pirates have been drawn against the Guinea side AS Kulum in the fourth round of the CAF Confederations Cup. The Soweto Giants will play their first leg away from home on the weekend of the 15th and the 17th of May, with a return leg taking place a weekend later. Winners will advance to the group stage of the Confederation Cup, which gets underway in June. Kaiser Chiefs coach Stuart Baxter believes that even though it's a pre-season friendly, the Carling Black Label Cup is a great opportunity to get the season off to a winning start. Um, of course, he will take on arch-rivals Orlando Pirates in the fifth edition of the Cup. It all gets underway on the 25th of July. In the past four outings, the Bucks have emerged victorious three times, Chiefs having only managed one win. It's a big game and it's a high profile training game, we've, got to, we've, not, we've not got to lose sight of that, it's early in the season, having said that you still want to be the old enemy, so that's, 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 that's about where it is, but it's more on a prestige level I think than a, a tactical technical level. Even though it technically is a pre-season friendly, the fans get to choose the starting lineup in both teams. And uh, uh, Amakosi coach Stuart Baxter believes it's a great way for some of the youngsters to get experience. I think it gives the, the supporters a chance to feel that they're affecting the selection and it gives also the coach, whoever it is, a massive opportunity to enhance his life with a, a marvellous experience. I think it's, it's become more and more, and I've noticed the difference from the player's side, it's more and more accepted and there's a greater effort to, to actually give this, this person the experience. 25th of July, FNB Stadium is when that one is taking place. On to European football news. Africa's richest man, Aliko Dangote, has expressed interest in becoming the owner of English top-flight giants Arsenal. Dangote, a tycoon in cement and commodities, made attempts in 2010 to acquire a stake in the English club, but discussions broke down. According to Bloomberg uh, Billionaires Index, Dangote is worth three times more than current major shareholder at Arsenal, Stan Croente. Uh, yeah, he's worth apparently 16 billion US dollars. Staying in Europe, Champions League semi-finals uh, get underway this evening at the Juventus Stadium. The first leg sees Juve host Real Madrid. In the first leg of their final four encounter tomorrow, Barcelona up against Bayern Munich. We'll preview that action uh, a little later on in the show tonight. Also, tennis uh, taking place at the Madrid Open today. It is day two of that tournament. Catherine Whitaker will be joining us live a little bit later on in the show to let us know exactly what is happening. 
In cricket news, the Mumbai Indians up against the Delhi Daredevils. Uh, and uh, batting first, the Delhi Daredevils uh, posted 152 for the loss of six. In a reply, the Mumbai Indians are currently eight for the loss of one. That's after the first over. And finally, the fight of the century might be a thing of the past, but the drama continues. Many Pacquiao could face lawsuits and disciplinary action for failing to disclose a pre-bout shoulder injury. Apparently, neither Pacquiao nor his team informed the Nevada Athletic Commission of the problem until a couple of hours before the start of the fight, when they were asked for an anti-inflammatory injection. The Filipino will undergo surgery later this week to repair the tear in his rotator cup. I'm Brad Brown for SAFM Sport. Coming up next, we'll chat to Lali Stunder. SAFM Sports Wrap. You tune into South Africa's news and information leader. It's time to head slightly north of where we're sitting here at our studios in Auckland Park to the Swat Corp Country Club, where the second round of the Nedbank SA Disabled Golf Open has concluded today. And Lali Stunder joins us now. Lali, opening round yesterday, all going according to plan for the defending champion, but things went a bit pear-shaped today. Indeed. Josh Williams uh, went out yesterday uh, and shot a lovely 72, a one over par 72. He took a two-stroke lead into the second round today. Um, we didn't expect Donnie Yordan, the 50-year-old who surprised everyone yesterday with a 74, to still be in contention, but we certainly did not expect Josh Williams to fall out of base. He, uh, he w- turned 10 over par after a disastrous front nine, managed to rally a little on the back nine, uh, finished one over on the back nine, and signed for a 79. So he is currently sitting at nine over, 151. Uh, Williams is three shots behind uh, Daniel Slubbert, who uh, had a fantastic round, Brad, one of those rounds we all wish we can play. He had, um, what is it, a double bogey, a bogey, one lone birdie at the 18th, and the rest was just straight pars. Superb golf, and he paid tribute to his caddy, professional Kim Williams, um, who has been helping him for the last two weeks with his course management and planning for this tournament. Slobbert won this tournament in three straight years, 2011, 2012, and 2013, and he had lined up his fourth title last year um, at Zabula when Williams (coughs) overhauled him in the final round to take the title. He's an extremely confident player right now, and you can just you can see that there is going to be a brawl tomorrow. Wedged in between the two of them is Reinhard Schipnach, the reigning world one-arm match play champion. So you've got the one-arm bandit playing with the two hopalongs tomorrow. <laughs> it is going to get extremely... This is... I quote them here. Um, this is going to get very interesting. Josh Williams said it's definitely building up to a very tight finish between the hopalong Cassidy's and the one-arm bandit. Reinhard shot a 74 today at a very colorful scorecard, but he made uh, a lot of birdies um, to, to counteract the bogeys he had. And if he just finds a bit of rhythm tomorrow, we could have our first one-arm amputee champion in, I think, the history of this tournament. That would be amazing. Lali, you mentioned the defending champion, 10 over for his front nine today. Is it, is it possible for him to bounce back from that? I mean, that, that must have knocked his confidence in a big way. Not at all. He's a, he's a, he's not, I have to tell you, this is a Canadian, not an American. There's not a sense of cockiness about this guy. He's out there and he's supporting everyone and whenever one of the South Africans does a, you know, a good job on a whole, he makes a real big fuss about it. He even spent time yesterday afternoon with 17-year-old Charles Tron 
giving him putting tips after the kids shot an 81 playing with Williams. He, he said to us after nine holes, I have drawn a very thick car, uh, line here under the front line. Do you see this line? This round now starts all over for me. When I spoke to him afterwards, I said, what, what was the problem? And he said, I don't know. I just couldn't focus. I struggled to focus. I went into the water on the first hole, and, uh, and I, I just lost focus throughout the front line. Of course, there are a few things that are against Williams. Um, the courses in South Africa, the grass and the fairways is, is quite hard. And um, But in, in, in where he plays in Canada, he says he never takes a divot. But here he has to take a divot. So that takes a bit of adjusting. I'm not quite sure I follow that reasoning, but anyway, whatever. And um, and he also said to us, you know, his ball strike, uh, his ball striking measures at 108 miles an hour. Now he comes up here where at home he play, plays a thousand uh, miles above sea level. Now he's up here in the highland, and now suddenly the ball striking faster, but the ball is flying so much further. So uh, that's what happened to him on the first hole. He misjudged the distance, um, but his attitude is incredible. He, he was on the back foot last year and managed to scramble to win the tournament. He's certainly not out of it. He, he's coming back for it with a fight tomorrow. But he did say he's going to burn his green shirt. He thinks it's an unlucky shirt. <laughs> That's fantastic. Lali, you, you, Lovely sense of humor. Yeah, you, you mentioned the two South Africans in there, and, and particularly uh, just, just looking at that final round. Uh, lots of guys in that final sort of grouping who, who have won here before. They know what it takes. It, it's going to be an interesting duel down the final straight. I definitely think so. Like I said, Daniel, who's a left leg amputee, he's won this tournament three times and came second last year. He's very experienced um, and extremely confident with Kim Williams on the bag. Reinhardt has never won the ESSA Open. However, he has come second twice and third a few times. So he's been in contention. He knows what it takes. But I think he gained a lot of confidence from playing overseas last year First of all, winning that one-arm match play uh, world championship and then uh, lining up for the European team in the uh, disabled golf uh, equivalent of the Ryder Cup matches. Because his father is German, uh, his grandfather's German, he's got dual passports. And when um, this, uh, this lot approached the South African Disabled Golf Association and asked whether Reinhardt might be interested to play, they encouraged him to go to gain more experience. And, uh, and it was a wonderful exercise for him because he gained a lot of experience from those matches. In fact, he won all these matches. And, um, and he's come back. There's a, there's a sense of, of calmness about him that he hasn't had before. And when we questioned him about this after the round today, he just said that he's never had the confidence before to compete in this tournament because he's playing against leg amputees. They do have a slight advantage from a balance point of view. And uh, just watching him, it's quite it's quite phenomenal. I mean, I tried to go to the putting green to try and putt with one hand just to get a feeling for it. And I'm a natural left-hander. He's a right-hander who lost his right arm and had to learn to putt left-handed. I, I, I don't know how the kid does it. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, we're really looking forward to an incredible battle tomorrow. And uh, I can tell you with the Canadian thrown in there, it is going to get extremely interesting. Well, we're looking forward to that. Lali, we'll chat to you again tomorrow evening of, uh, after, its, uh, after its conclusion. We look forward to that. Enjoy the final round, and we look forward to chatting then. See you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. SAFM Sports.
You tune in to South Africa's news and information leader. Time now to head to Europe where there is tennis action happening on the clay courts of Madrid. Catherine Whitaker joining us now this evening. Catherine, before we get into today's action, we never got to, uh, to chat about it yesterday uh, because it was uh, the PSL show. Actually, and I wanted to just, uh, just touch on it. Kevin Anderson going out early in a very disappointing uh, performance for him. Yeah, very disappointing for him. I mean, Clay's never going to be his best service, surface. The big servers traditionally don't do that well on the clay, but nonetheless disappointing for him because it's not been a particularly good clay court season all round. So uh, he will certainly be hoping for better, I would have thought, in uh, in Rome next week. Yeah, absolutely. He's particularly with a French Open approaching. He'd uh, like to get uh, some time on the clay courts and in competitive matches. But let's uh, let's look at today's action. We spoke briefly on PM Live this afternoon, and you mentioned the uh, amount of Spaniards who are, are taking part and, and and doing really well this week. It's incredible the depth uh, the depth in clay court tennis in Spain. Absolutely, eleven players started. Eleven Spanish players started the week here in Madrid, which is quite something. So roughly one in one in six of the players in the draw here is is Spanish, which uh, which is really amazing. And most of them, I think there's a couple of wild cards in there, but most of them have earned their place by right. Um, so absolutely, the strength in depth of Spanish tennis is incredible, and it seems to have been that way for for quite a while now. They just keep churning out churning out champions and uh, get on them. One of the, the matches that was an all-Spanish affair, Fernando Vadasco, being given a bit of a hard time, needed three sets. He, he lost the first one 6-4, but ended up coming back to win it 4-6, uh, 6-2, 6-3 against uh, Garcia Lopez. Yeah, he did well there because he was definitely in a spot of bother after that first set, and the crowd were very divided about who to, to support two Spaniards on the court. And actually, Vadasco not having had the best season, Garcia Lopez was the higher ranked of the two players, so he'll be pretty pleased to have come through that one, I think. And another one of the Spaniards also had a bit of a, a battle today was uh, Ramos uh, Vanolas. Yes, he came through against uh, Pablo Cuevas. He reached the final last week uh, against Roger Federer in Turkey. So good win for him. He's somebody that's come a little bit from nowhere. He had a tough time in Monte Carlo a couple of weeks ago. Drew uh, drew Novak Djokovic in the second round, which is uh, not easy for anyone. But that's a good win for him. Pablo Cuevas was one to watch in the draw here, having... Uh, having reached the final in Istanbul. Looking at some of the other matches that were out on court, it's uh, Gal Morphy, uh, a pretty easy victory for him. Another another person who who, who was looking pretty good uh, until uh, the American retired was Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, they're showing some good good form on, on the clay courts. They'll be ones to watch for the, for the rest of the clay court season. You're right, Brad. In particular, Gal Morphy, I would say, he looked sensational today. He he lost only two games in his uh, victory over Viktor Troitschki, so, um, and he looks incredibly relaxed and really well adjusted to the clay here in Madrid. Grigor Dimitrov, too, in sensational form. Um, difficult to make too much of his match because Donald Young was clearly hampered by a back injury, but what we saw of him looked good, um, but what we saw of him in Monte Carlo looked good, and then uh, he put up a terrible showing uh, in the quarterfinals, so you never know what you're going to get with Dimitrov. He still has a tendency to be a bit inconsistent, but certainly if he chooses his best tennis, who knows? Looking at uh, the ladies' draw, just looking at some of those results there, Maria Sharapova, who's, who's seeded number three uh, in this tournament, uh, had a pretty easy, easy uh, match today as well. 6 1, 6 2, she ended up winning. She did. 6-1-6-2 against uh, Marino Duke Marino. Very easy for her. Mostly easy progress for the top seed. Sharapova going through easily. Ivanovic threw in straight sets. Azarenka looked very good against Ali Tomljanovic. Kalitovic coming through in three sets against uh, good youngster Coco Vanderwey. 
And uh, the, probably the biggest upset of the day was Sarawani losing in three sets to Anastasia Pavliotenko. But Sarawani usually so good on the clay, and uh, this season has failed to produce a little bit. Yeah, I was going to ask you about her. It is disappointing. I mean, the clay court season is fairly short. There's only a few warm-up tournaments in the build-up to the French Open. She would have liked to have uh, stuck around a bit longer than this one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. She would have done. I mean, uh, Pavlyuchenko is no slouch, but she would have been expecting to win that one. And she would probably be wanting to get her ranking up higher ahead of the French Open. She was uh, 15 feet here. So that's where she's ranked at the moment. She would probably be wanting to uh, to nudge that a bit higher ahead of the French Open. But uh, she's got points to defend here in this in this clay court swing. She's got points to defend in Rome next week. So she'll be looking to uh, to post probably something from the quarterfinal onwards in Rome to be in good shape ahead of Paris. Absolutely. Catherine Whitaker, thank you so much for that update from Madrid. We look forward to chatting again tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Wrap, we'll chat Bok Rugby. SAFM Sports Wrap. This is SAFM Sports Wrap, and Springbok coach Heineken Mayer says he's very impressed with the spirit showed by the players during the first day of the Springbok training camp that's currently underway in Johannesburg. Mayer said he's worried about the number of injured players that are in the camp, but says that the camp's given him time to look at every player he has called up. Yeah, I must say, you know, uh, you sometimes forget why you coach. It's just great to see the guys so passionate to be back in the, in the, in the fold, and, uh, you know, I haven't seen the guys for almost five months, which is a long time in rugby, so... Uh, it's a great vibe there, and uh, you know, just again, a few new faces. It just sees, and you just realise what it means for guys being involved in the box setter. And um, you know, a guy like Pierre being back, I had a one, one, one with him, and he hasn't been here for two years. So just to see how much he's excited, he's played more than 50 games. So yeah, great to be back, great vibe, and very happy with the first session. Um, you know, this always this time of the season, I'm a little, a little bit worried about the injuries. Uh, there's some sort of there was a lot of criticism, not a lot, but criticism because uh, there's 44 guys here. But there's only 20 guys training. And uh, so we have to touch all the bases, look at the depth. If you look at the World Cup, New Zealand won it with Donald, which is the fourth fly-off. So uh, we look at every single player, but I'm very happy. And I thought it was a great session. Mayor said he is concerned about the amount of time you'll have with the squad ahead of the World Cup, while most Northern Hemisphere teams will have a few months to prepare for rugby's global showpiece. Mayor says the training camps will be crucial for him to get the message through to the players and also to make sure that the players are well-conditioned for the tournament. It is frustrating. Uh, it's our first camp. We only have two short training sessions and it's almost the start of the, of the season. And it's one week and then we start against the World Team and then the World Cup. Only, it's only two weeks to prepare. Uh, I, I'm really worried about it, the amount of time we've got, and that's not an excuse. Um, you know, we have to put a lot of work in. I truly believe that uh, the Northern Hemisphere teams, it's the end of their season, they're going to have a lot of time to prepare, and they're going to play friendly. So they're going to be f- super fit and uh, a lot of time to prepare. So uh, I truly believe we really have to work hard to catch up. And uh, the m- main thing now is just to get patterns going again. I must say we're fortunate because a lot of these guys are excellent players. You know, I thought it would take long just to get back into the mold and a lot of these things, and we introduce one small new thing today, they just pick up on that right, right from the start. But uh, it's more a question of spending time with the players one-on-one, go through a lot of game plan again. You know, believe it or not, people say we don't have a game plan, but uh, there's almost, almost 250 calls that the players have to know. And then they've got their unions or their franchises calls as well. So just to get their minds going on our calls, our system, how we play and what we want from them. A lot of one-on-ones. We also did a lot of uh, work on uh, strength and conditioning, you know, see where they are, uh, you know, body mass, fat mass, where they are, because I truly believe if you want to win the World Cup, you have to be the fittest team. And that's one thing I think the whole group needs to improve on.
Mayer said that the door for places in the Springbok World Cup squad is still open and that the likes of Bulls fullback Jesse Krill have impressed him with the form that they've shown in this year's Super Rugby competition. Mayer, though, said it was important not to change too much in terms of his personnel and consideration will obviously be given to the players that have played for the Springboks in the last three years. Um, I think, uh, you know, all these guys have performed over the years, so form is, is definitely important going into the World Cup, but you also have three years to see which guys can come through and what they can do under pressure. You know, although super rugby form is always, you know, it's always very, very important, but uh, this match rugby is it's totally different, especially the breakdown, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, and we usually face Northern Hemisphere referees. So it's a total different game, so form is definitely important, but you also have to, in three years, I know which guys can, can perform under pressure, which guys can, can play at that level, at highest level, and we still have time to get them back to their best. So I'll be honest if I say this, you've got some sort of idea, probably the first 15, but I think it's still open for every single guy to go to the World Cup. And there's always guys that comes in late. You know, I can mention a lot, but the guy like Jesse Kulis, he's always been training with us um, as a youngster. Um, he was very close last year to selection. Suddenly he's, he's, uh, he's putting up his hands. And I think the great thing is that uh, the guys out there know that's why I had one-on-ones with them. You know, I don't believe in pecking orders. I've never, never believed in that. And the best three one was go to the World Cup. Mayer believes that they're on track with regards to their planning for the World Cup and that they've consulted a lot of coaches that have won World Cups before in the build-up to this year's tournament. Mayer says they won't change much in the way of uh, the way the team plays. They just need to improve on a few minor things. Uh, I think the, you know we've did a lot of research, spoke to a lot of people that's been at the World Cups from different countries that won World Cups. So we did, the coaches must get a lot of a lot of credit. We really planned well up till now, and we will keep on planning as well. So uh, we've done a lot of research, spoke to all the coaches probably that won the World Cups before from all nations. And the one thing that came out is that uh, you know you have to stick with things that's worked for you. You can't just change everything. But I always believe, uh, you know, you can't be too predictable. You have to move on. The game is moving on every six months. So you try one or two new things. Uh, but the way of play, you know, there's criticism for not scoring tries. We've last two years scored probably the most tries in, in, in the world. Uh, the All Blacks scored more, more last year, but we scored more the previous year. And they scored 12 against uh, the USA. So I truly believe we're on the right track scoring enough tries. The fans have been great. Uh, there's one or two things that we need to improve on. So you won't change everything, but you have to go keep on involving. You have to try one or two new things. As far as that injury list goes, Springbok team Dr. Craig Roberts says they are happy with the progress of Springbok captain Jean de Villiers from his career-threatening knee injury, which he sustained during uh, the end-of-year tour last year against Wales. Roberts said that they were monitoring de Villiers on a weekly basis and that he will need a game or two before the World Cup to get his confidence back. Yeah, we're very happy with Jean's progress. Obviously, we're taking it week by week. Uh, he's doing really well at the moment. He's working incredibly hard. Um, so we're happy with his progress. There's still a, a long time before the World Cup. We need to start programming him to get him a couple of games so that he can get some game time and some confidence before the World Cup. So we're looking at that at the moment. But again, it's, uh, it's something that we take week by week. Uh, as the coach said, we are very happy with his progress so far, but it is still early days. Roberts revealed that de Villiers is already running and doing a lot of conditioning work, but again emphasised the need for de Villiers to play some rugby in order to regain his form. Yeah, he's, he's running pretty hard. He's running really hard. So um, he's, he's doing a lot of field training. He's doing a lot of conditioning. He's not far from actually spending some time doing some team training. So 
we are happy with his progress and as we say we, we take it week by week. So I think it's, it's also important that he gets some game time after an injury like that uh, even with 100 caps and as experienced as he is he, he needs to get back to form. So there's one thing about being getting back to playing is to get back to form is to play a bit and to get some confidence. So that's what we'll be, we'll be looking at in sort of building him up towards the World Cup will be our plan. The Doc also said they'd be giving Sharks lock Peter Steftatoy as much time as possible to recover from his knee injury, which had initially seemed to have brought his World Cup dream to an end. Dutoy suffered a similar injury during last year's Super Rugby season, and it kept him out of action for the remainder of the year. But there's hope that he'll be back on his feet before the Springboks leave for the World Cup. We're going to give him as much time as we can. Uh, he's had some good weeks, he's had some bad weeks, which you have with that sort of injury. So it's, it's premature now to, to make a call on him. Um, but yeah, we'll give him as, mu- as much time as he needs. Obviously, it's the coach's decision when he has to finally select his squad. We'll, we'll have that cut off and say, you know, make it around there. But it's his call. It's the coach's call. Even with a number of Springboks suffering from injuries during the Super Rugby season, Roberts doesn't think anyone is in danger of missing out on the World Cup due to injury. No, I mean, at, at the moment we've still got quite a bit of time, so uh, everyone at the moment is still in contention. Obviously, injuries come and go. If we pick up a, a nasty knee injury now, the, the, the time frames are too short, and as we get closer and closer to the World Cup with the guys still playing, that's when I start getting nervous because then we start running out of time to get the guys ready uh, for the World Cup. But at this stage actually looking good um, from that side of things are a lot of injuries there's a lot of exposure in rugby you expect guys to pick up injuries uh, but so far um, there's no one that I can categorically say won't be available for the World Cup. Robert says that all the injured players have joined up with the Springbok training camp which is currently underway in Johannesburg uh, for the Springbok medical team to monitor their progress. Robert said that all the injured players are looking good and are also doing a lot of rehabilitation with their respective franchises. I mean we did pull up uh, guys who were injured. I mean it, it, we knew they were injured just to give us opportunity to have a look at them and to see where they, where they are and uh, we, we're happy with most of them. They're doing nicely. So it's been good for us. It's given us a uh, you know, ability to have a look at where those guys are exactly. Uh, obviously, they, they're rehabbing with their franchises, and we, vi- we visit their franchises regularly. we in close contact with the doctors in terms of their progress, but it gives us a nice opportunity now just to you know, spend a bit more time with the guys and see exactly where they are. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap. A big night in European football tonight. Another one tomorrow night, actually. It's the first leg of the UEFA Champions League semi-finals. Tonight's clash takes place at the Juventus Stadium. It is Juve up against Real Madrid tomorrow night. Mouth-watering clash between Bayern Munich and Barcelona. But uh, to chat us through this evening's match, it is SABC Sports journalist uh, Jude from Vague. Jude, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap. Thanks for, for your time this evening. Big game at uh, Juventus Stadium tonight. Real Madrid, I think, are the favourites, but you've got nothing to lose. Well, first of all, uh, thanks, Brad, for having me on the show. Uh, it's a big night in European football. I like Juventus' chance. We just wrapped up the Italian league this past weekend, beating Sampdoria 1-0. Uh, but I really, I really don't see Real Madrid not doing the business tonight. I mean, uh, Ronaldo and company, and uh, they, I mean, they're too strong. And they're too strong aside. They, they have all the money backing. Um, yeah. They've got some big names. We'll, we'll chat about a few of those in a moment as well. But you mentioned that title. It was a 31st Serie A title for, for Juventus that they claimed this past weekend. How much of a confidence boost will that be heading into tonight's match? I mean, with that league title in the bag, I think they have all the confidence going forward. Um, they can go all out. They, their full focus can now be on the Champions League, uh, this first and second leg against the Real Madrid. And uh, that's, I think that's where the coach will put all the focus on. 
You, you mentioned the big names uh, and the money at Real Madrid. So obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, who who probably hasn't lived up to expectations at uh, at Real. But uh, if there's ever a time to perform, it's now and on a stage like this. Uh, yes, definitely. I think that uh, Bale. I mean, he needs to come to the party a little bit, uh, but he, he has been fantastic. Um, he has been scoring goals uh, earlier in the season. Uh, they were. They did say that he was a ball hugger, but I think he's he's getting uh, rid of that. I mean, he has spoken to former Real Madrid player Kaka, and Kaka just gave a little bit of confidence uh, in terms of that. As far as uh, the other names, I mean, Juve also have, have a few of their own. Carlos Tevez, who's, who's no stranger to uh, to English football, and, and our listeners will definitely know uh, who, who he is and what he can do. He's, he's going to play a big role in tonight's game too. I mean, he'll be he'll be pivotal to Juventus' performance, and I think uh, the whole team will be behind him to get, to get the goal, to get in the back of the net, and um, I think he needs his support from his team uh, for, in order for him to, to perform overall. And uh, I, I do see him getting getting a goal or two, uh, but I, I just I don't see Real Madrid uh, slipping up uh, tonight. Do these uh, sort of home and away playoff matches are, are quite interesting, particularly when you play at home first, because uh, they can be very sort of nervous encounters, and particularly for the home team who, who are playing at home in the first leg, they don't want to concede any goals going into that second one with away goals uh, against you. Uh, it's a big ask. So, uh, Juve, you think they, they've got the defensive unit to, to keep Rail out? Um, yes, I think they do. I think they're missing a, they're missing a defensive midfielder, a really big figure in terms of Paul Pogba. Uh, but I think they, they will keep Real Madrid out. Uh, but they will try and keep Real Madrid out. Uh, but I don't, I really, like I, like realistically, I, I see a 1-0, a 1-0 draw, maybe 2-1 to Real Madrid tonight. Um, but Juventus will have to try their best to keep them out. Yeah, they are the underdogs going into this one, no doubt. Yeah, two-one scoreline for for Rail would be a, an incredible uh, sort of buffer and advantage to take into to the second leg. Jude Vivek, thank you so much for your time this evening here on SAFM Sports Trap. Enjoy the game tonight. We look forward to chatting again soon. Cool, thank you, Brad. SAFM Sports Trap. That's it for this evening's show. We're back again tomorrow at 6.30. Looking forward to that. I'll be back, though, on PM Live tomorrow afternoon. The talk shop is up next on the other side of your news. For myself, Brad Brown, and my producer, Siobhan Chetty. Until then, take care. Cheers.